We're going to have communion in a minute, but I do want to tell you a couple things. Um, we're going to pray for uh, families for this week. We're going to pray for students. We're going to pray for teachers. We're going to pray for uh, bus drivers that are part of our congregation. We're going to pray for school administrators. Um, did it feel like summer just went by in a flash? Are you ready? Now, I mean, I know, I don't know, parents may be ready. I, do, you, do you feel like you're all ready for school to start? Um, do, you, do, you, do you feel like it's all coming in a bit of a rush? Uh, do you feel like, oh my goodness, I, I barely got our breath this summer. If you feel that way, and if your family is, you know, kind of anxiously awaiting what the school year will bring, you, you're not alone. I mean, we are in the, you know, whatever post-pandemic phase means of life, but it does mean that all of the issues that we've experienced over the last couple of years, all of them seem to sort of remain in little pockets in some interesting ways, whether it's a, a supply chain, stress, anxiety, people on edge, uh, uh, staffing issues, you show up someplace for something and it might just be closed for no reason, all kinds of things that we're experiencing. And we all watched as uh, the county had all sorts of school system issues last year, and there is certainly some uh, latent sort of anxiety or apprehension about what might be around the corner when it comes to our lives in general. I want to remind you what scripture says. If you don't feel ready for what's to come, then this promise, this truth is there for me and for you. That his divine power, God's divine power has given us what? Say it with me. Now I know, I know, I know. You think, yeah, except for there's something we would put in that little bucket there. But the truth is his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, this, this is a part of a larger passage, of course, in Peter's second letter, but this, this verse capstones a whole section of scripture that talks very clearly about who God is and what he gives us, and that he gives us what we need to get through what we need to get through. And my guess is, is if we had time, you each could tell a story of how God has done that in your life in one way or another, one circumstance or another. You've heard three or four of those stories already this morning. And so as we are on the, the cusp of another school year, as you wonder about what God is up to and how he's going to bring together people, as we watch all of us who maybe are a little shy on what it means to engage in thoughtful people skills and in big groups, and all of us are a bit raw around the edges when it comes to loving people well, especially having patience and kindness and as all of that sits right here, we pray for it and we acknowledge and we say together, collectively, that we know that God has given us everything that we need. And he's done so internally. He's given us the knowledge and the heart that we need. So we're going to take just a minute as a church, if you're watching online and this includes you in this group, we're going to pray for parents, we're going to pray for students, we're going to pray for teachers teachers' aides, people that are involved in creating education plans, school bus drivers. Let's please pray for the school bus drivers. And any of those that are engaging in the lives of our families and kids over the next few weeks, parents who homeschool. And would you, uh, as the names of the people that you know come to mind, lift them up specifically right now, in your heart and your mind, asking God to give them all that they need, and ask God to reassure them that he 
is with them and that he will never leave them. So let me just encourage you to start praying right now. Lord, in this room and those listening online, a part of our church family, are many who are engaged thoughtfully in our, uh, our education system. Some teach, some are administrators. Some students in this room and listening are uh, pondering a move back to college or a move to college for the first time. New friends, new environment, new challenges. Lord, there's some in our church that uh, have the responsibility and task of um, getting students to and from school safely. Or there are administrators, folks that work on a, a school staff in a variety of ways, some in very service-oriented positions and some making decisions for hundreds. Lord, we're first grateful that there are people that give their time, their energy, and sacrifice much uh, for the, the cause of developing and teaching and shaping young hearts and minds. And so we're grateful. We're grateful for their sacrifice. We're grateful for their love and for their desire to do this. And there isn't anyone that's praying right now that has not been a recipient of those gifts, those kindnesses, those generosities on behalf of those who teach and lead in our schools. And so we pray that they would feel your love and your mercy and your grace. May they know that they have everything that they need as they are launching into so much this week and they feel overwhelmed by the the list in front of them and the tasks and the preparations, uh, may they be able to, at least for a few moments, take a deep breath, sense your presence, and know that you will be with them and that you will walk through this school year with them and give them all that they need for their life and for godliness, for patience, for kindness as they teach. Lord, we ask that they would sense this and know this. And we pray for the parents those in our community. We pray that the schools would not be a place of controversy or politics. We pray that they would not be a place for agenda-driven issues. We pray that education would reign supreme, that those who serve and love would have all the attention and energy that they need to accomplish what our education system was designed to do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would allow this school year to begin with a sense of hope, earnestness, thoughtfulness. And we pray for those in our church that are connected in any way, in any part. Lord, help them as they love well, have immense patience, and face challenges It can come from so many directions. Lord, we love you and we are grateful that we can come to you with these prayers. And we're grateful that because we pray, you move and marshal the resources of heaven uh, to answer these prayers. And so may many feel your presence and be encouraged by all of it. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus. We all pray together. And we say, amen. So if you know a teacher, if you know somebody who works in the school system, you should send them a text. You should send them a little email or, you know, if you are so inclined, drop them a note and just say thank you. Appreciate you. I see you. I know what you're up to. I know how hard it is. And we're behind you. It will make a world of difference. And uh, if you have some college students that are embarking on the first uh, semester of their journey, you should do the same for them. Uh, Whatever you can do to allow people to know that we're with you. God has put you in their lives for that reason. And so this series, uh, just very briefly before we take communion, that is all about the parables. There's a little section in Matthew that has these two statements in it that we wouldn't really call it a whole parable, but it's an extended analogy or metaphor. And as we were praying for students, praying for teachers, and thinking about the beginning of the school year, I thought we should revisit this. It was a little less than a year ago, last fall, we preached a whole sermon on this, on this passage, but I thought we should be reminded that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. There's a, a truth here, and while I say it's not exactly a parable, there's a few overlaps between the Sermon on the Mount, where this is found, and the parables of Jesus. And he's going to say a little bit more about what it means to be the light of the world. In fact, here's the, the whole section. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And he says a little more about what it means to be a salt of the, world, salt of the earth and not lose your saltiness. Much to be said about salt and light. We talked a little bit about it a little less than a year ago. We talked about the, the qualities of both and how they impact the world around us as physical things. But it's the reason why Jesus took these physical examples and said, we want this to be the thing that you ponder when you consider your spiritual influence, when you consider the nature of your relationships or how you interact with the world around you. And so Jesus took these two elements from the common everydayness of our life and said, these are the things I want you to think about. And we, of course, sum this up with one very simple idea. Lots of things to be said about it, but we said, if you're going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, here's what we want you to do. We want you to make life better. And that's a very simple way of saying it. It's a very simple way of taking Jesus's words and saying, look, this is what God's called you to do. I don't know where you are, where you spend your days or what your relationships are like, but I want you to make life better. It's what salt and life do in a thousand different ways. And this is why we are spending this series to reflect on the parables and the things of Jesus so that we can consider our life, how we live, and how we might do these very things. And so not just for teachers, not just for students, not just for college students, for every one of us that have friends and neighbors and work in different places and different circles that you're a part of. You can ponder the the three county commissioners that Mark referenced that are a part of our leadership, government, and they find themselves in this room and they have to weigh million, multi-million dollar decisions. Some of our decisions that we make individually and personally, they're far less uh, expansive or not near as, as influential, but the relationships that we have all find themselves in a place where we can, if we're thoughtful, we can make life better. And so my hope is as we embark on the fall, whether you're in a classroom or you're just good friends with somebody down the street, that this is what you want to do. Now, 
we have to be careful because we all define better a little bit different. When I say make life better, you think of one thing and I think of something else. And so let's take Jesus's broader understanding of what better was. When Jesus describes what life is better like in the gospels, he is incredibly specific about what that means and and what it looks like. And in almost every story, every interaction that Jesus has, it almost always starts with a selfless love, almost always. There's some engagement where somebody gives something of themselves, where Jesus gives something of himself, and it begins right there. And so regardless of your profession, occupation, circle of friends, life will be better for the people that you cross paths with, that you interact with, if this is the operative value What we said from the beginning of the series is every time there's a parable, Jesus is saying to each of us, look, here's the deal. I'm going to offer up some values to you, and and I want to see if you'll adopt them. So it's not about how you can get ahead or how you can climb the ladder or what you can amass. It's not about comfort or ease for you. I want you to know that selfless love takes up the center of all things. That's what Jesus says. And then making life better, of course, is followed up by this. It flows from a deep awareness of God's love. In fact, this selfless love really doesn't have any ground to operate on. It has no soil to take root in unless it flows from a deep awareness of who God is and how God loves you. And if we're being honest, there are some of you right now, right here in this room, listening online, that are not very sure of God's love for you. And if you are at least suspicious that God might love you, you're pretty sure it's not unconditional. Or that there's a few things you can do to stop its flow or prevent it from touching your life or your heart. But nonetheless, God can still use us if we are at least aware that his love is there and the selfless love is there. And then what happens when we make life better? Well, we use what we have to enlarge God's kingdom. And this happens in a thousand different ways. People are seen, people are heard. People have a chance to encounter someone that listens to them in a way that they haven't been listened to in weeks. Could be that somebody shares a burden and you shoulder part of it and you carry it along the path with them. And they think, "What? I didn't know. I didn't know. It could be this, this good. I didn't know that there were people that were for me or that could help me along the way. Systems are upended. Hotels are repurposed. Financial resources flow to places that weeks before there wasn't even a place for it. That's what happens. That's what happens when selfless love flows from the people of God because they're aware of God's love for them when we use what we have to enlarge the kingdom. You see, in God's kingdom, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, in God's kingdom, everyone is fed. That's why we have a food bank. In God's kingdom, forgiveness flows easily. That's why we forgive. In God's kingdom, everyone is loved and welcomed and accepted. And I know that that sounds, that sounds large and, and all-encompassing, but usually God's kingdom growing doesn't happen in these big, grand ways. Usually it happens in very small gestures. You paying attention to who's near you. You keeping your eyes open, you noticing the folks that are in your company and what they might need. 
It's listening to each other. It's the names that came across your mind when we prayed for the teachers a minute ago. It's the people that you'll text later today because you have a burden for letting them know that they aren't alone. It happens when teachers create lesson plans. It happens when administrators give um, parents and students and teachers all the benefit of the doubt and try to work and collaborate to create something beautiful in a community. It happens when you do the work that's in front of you. God's kingdom gets a little bit bigger. This is what it looks like when God's kingdom grows. And so, when we operate from these places of selfless love, for us to do any of this work, for us to make it happen, we live and move with the deep awareness of God's love, the love that he has for you, the love that the debt has been paid, the love that can fill you up so that you have something to offer somebody else. I'm gonna ask our our servers to go get ready for communion. There is no stronger example of God's mercy and love than the elements that are represented through the sacrament of communion. If, if we're going to love the way Jesus loves, then we have to receive the love that only Jesus can give. That the love that God has for you isn't based on your performance, it's not based on your goodness, it's not even based on your righteousness that's been lived out. It's not even based on your decision to surrender to him. God's love just is. In fact, when, when the writers of scripture are trying to describe the very nature and character of God, they use one word, and it is love. It is agape, this Greek word that means God pursues us in very practical ways, and he desires to walk with us relationally. This agape love is the only thing that can transform us from selfish people to selfless love. And it's made evident in these two elements. The night that Jesus spent last night with his friends, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And he took this bread and he had given thanks. It's part of the Passover meal, part of their evening together. All the disciples were there. And he took it and gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. Now the beautiful picture of this moment means that Jesus is giving the disciples something of himself. And today, when you receive the elements from our servers around this room, you'll be receiving something from them as well. They have some words to say to you. And in that moment, you are drinking in the goodness of God's love and mercy. In other words, if, if you had a cup and it was empty, emptied this week by the, uh, the hurts of your life or the hardship of your week or the difficulty in your world, our hope is that this communion experience would in some ways fill you up again and that you can return to your family or your relationships and have something to give to them, something of mercy, something of love. And it's in doing this that God's kingdom grows just a little bit. It's when instead of returning injury for offense, you give love instead. Not only did Jesus hand the bread, he also took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And what he said is this. The Gospel of Matthew. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, there's peace between you and God. This new covenant means that whatever enmity, whatever uh, failure, whatever shortcomings, it's all healed. It is put back together as one. And this is the beauty of the communion meal. And so our hope is today, as we take communion together, that these sacraments will remind you of God's immense love for you, fill you up in a very unique way as only God's love can, and give you something to give to the people around you. And so Lord, in this moment, as we partake in communion together, we ask that you would fill us up with your love, your unconditional love. Or there's many of us listening in this room and online that have old, uh, old voices that, re- that make us suspicious of your love, that it is not enough, that we must earn it, that we have to find our way into your good graces through some quality of our behavior, that we could, in fact, trip up and find ourselves falling short again. But Lord, we know that your love has always been there, that it has always been present, and that your love is unconditional, full of mercy and grace. And so we receive it now as we receive these elements. And we ask that your love would flow from us to the people around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. At your convenience, our servers are in the corners, back corners, and up here to my right, your left. Make your way to them. You can wait in line if you like. You can wait until the line is shorter. We'll sing in just a moment one final song today. Send us out full of love, ready to change the world and enlarge God's kingdom here.